Oh hey, didn't see you there. Welcome to episode number 35 of Secondary Fermentation presented by East Carolina Beer and Brewing. Today we have a very special episode for you as we were able to make it out to Farmville, North Carolina to interview the dark beer specialist, Paul Philippon. Paul's owned the Duck Rabbit Craft Brewery since 2004 and has a wealth of knowledge about beer and the brewing industry. We had a great time talking with Paul and we hope you enjoy the interview as much as we enjoyed making it. Cheers. Well, hey everyone, we have a very special uh, interview today. We are here at Duck Rabbit Craft Brewery over in Farmville, and we've got Paul Philippon with us, the owner-operator for, what, 18 years now? 18 years, it's true. 18 years, wow. It's uh, definitely a great little spot. Mm-hmm. The it's t- like nice little tap room, nice outdoor area. Yeah. And we've come here a few times and just really I, I describe it. it to people as uh, Charlie Brown's most sincere pumpkin patch. <laughs> we're not very fancy, but we're yeah. very sincere. Yeah. Yeah. If you make a pumpkin beer, that would be the name <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, we're drinking a new beer that we've yeah. got, the Munich Hellas. Uh, do you have anything that you want to tell us about the new one? Or I mean, I guess... Uh, other than I'm crazy, crazy proud of it. Uh, I think uh, I think we hit it on the head on this one. I think it's delicious. You know, it's a, a little out of our wheelhouse. We don't usually do a lighter beer like this. Um, but uh, it is malty, which that is kind of part of our, I think, uh, uh, brand image maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but something light and refreshing and summery. Uh, I can't get enough of it. I yeah. kind of think we should have made more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe this will become one of your... Uh... Beers in your regular portfolio, maybe. I mean, I don't rule it out. Yeah. You know, have to see how it's received. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. We only just sent it off to our uh, North Carolina distributor, so I don't think it's hit any shelves yet. Um, nobody's had it other than here at the brewery, uh, but that, you know, it should be coming next week. Oh, should yeah. be able to find it. So, yeah, I look forward to find out if everybody else likes it as much yeah. as I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll be great to see what the what the sales say, how they right. speak yeah. for it. So It's always part of it. Awesome. <laughs> so, I guess one thing I'm very curious to see, so... In preparation for this, we watched a bunch of interviews and stuff (laughs) (laughs) into this. And, you know, we heard a lot of uh, the story. You know, you started uh, doing some homebrewing, really fell in love with that, started working in the industry. But I'm just curious, what drew you into beer in the first place, like before the homebrewing, before that? So I guess I think maybe as long as I can remember, as long as I've, you know, been an adult who can make his own decisions, (laughs) I I care about delicious things. I care, I, I, I take sort of, gustatory pleasure seriously um if you can take pleasure seriously uh, yeah um you know so i mean that that's that's with food that's with all kinds of food that's with other things that you might drink um but beer among them you know i i not not to be too nerdy about it necessarily not that there's anything wrong with that but but i you know i uh just really got into enjoying all the various flavors that you can find now at that time you know you're talking about the the mid 80s there was less available. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit less. (laughs) Yeah. But you had, you seek it out and a lot of it was in port, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, it it was exciting. Uh, And then, I'm sure you've heard this story if you've seen a bunch of interviews, but, but kind of found out by happenstance that it's possible to make beer at home. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at (laughs) that time. Yeah. And that, that just lit off fireworks um said yeah yeah i want to do that that's something i want to yeah, try yeah yeah and well that was relatively new too at that time because it wasn't not long before that when they made it so it was legal to brew sure beer at home, yeah. but people were still doing <laughs> right. it but, right yeah. right yeah it, it was we should be clear about that when i did it it was legal <laughs> <laughs> but you're right um it was only like in the mid 70s that uh uh president carter 
um, passed a bill to, to legalize mm-hmm. home brewing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know plenty of people who were brewing before then. Sure, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Just like uh, Moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Akin to that a little bit. Yeah. 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 So when you started home brewing and uh, dabbling yourself, was there uh, particular styles you were driven to brew or did you kind of dabble between the stouts and pours that you're known for now with Duck Rabbit? Or did you try any kind of lighter SRM beers like your American Pale Ale, your Blonde Ales? So uh, I think I was drawn then as I, as maybe I still am to some degree by English beers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that's, I guess, partly what was available as far as, you know, finding imports in mm-hmm. the mid 80s. Though, of course, you'd find German beers too, and that's great. And I'm starting to homebrew. I didn't really have the ability to lager properly. Oh, sure. Yeah. Equipment. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I I have always loved uh, beers from the British tradition. Um, so I think probably that was my focus more than other things. As you go on, as you're doing more homebrewing, you know, you start trying anything that you can think of to try. Right. So over over time i brewed all kinds of stuff but i think i think at first it was probably mainly yeah. um you know english like i just i love I still do a really low alcohol bitter an yeah. ordinary bitter yeah. you know give give me 2.9% uh low carbonation <laughs> yeah. cast condition if you can manage it yeah. yeah just love it that's the thing every time i go somewhere and i see a cask ale i'm like all right, wow, I'm surprised that you can maintain a cask ale and, like, <laughs> yeah. get it and sell enough of it to do it, but it's always, like, a treat to be like, all right, I got to try this. And I agree. Yeah. Definitely. It's just a different experience altogether, yep. and I am yep. would love to make the trip, you know, over and just hit up a place that's got, you know, just specializes in that. And, Absolutely. But it's interesting to read all, you know, all the things you read about, like, camera and all those people advocating for real ale and yep. stuff and how it's been, like, such a tumultuous battle with it, but... Kind of shows you it's worth uh, fighting for, I yeah. guess. There. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, it's been a long time since I've been to the UK, but the the, the one time that I did make a trip there, um, and this was, I guess I, I, I was already a professional brewer, but I hadn't been doing it very long. Um, when I got off the plane, the first money I spent was on the camera guide to really <laughs> find out where to find. Yeah, Money well spent. And I used that hard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> for those that are listening that don't know what camera is, it's the campaign for real ale, yeah, right? Yeah, it's right. kind of just to advocate, kind of fighting macro loggers and just all the yep. big beers coming in. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and they, they've been very influential in keeping traditional English brewing alive. So I guess... Um, you know, you had your affinity to beer, you had your, your home brewing, you got into the brewing industry, and you worked in there for a while, right? Yep. Um, what point, or can you think of a certain point or a pivotal moment where you said, I think it's time for me to shift over and do it myself? Sure. So, you know, that was, of course, as with lots of brewers, I think that's in your head from the beginning mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I think I'd eventually like to start my own thing. But I, I did feel pretty strongly from early on that it was important to wet your feet, uh, you know, to work in the brewing industry, to get to know, not, I mean, there are plenty of breweries, successful breweries, that start without having done that, without someone, you know, having worked in the industry, and that's power to them. Mm-hmm. For, for my sort of way of looking at the world and way of doing things, that felt a little too much like gambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, taking a risk is one thing, but a calculated risk isn't the same as rolling dice. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so I thought it was important to, to work in the industry to sort of build up the, the base of knowledge in everything to do with, with 
running a brewery. And I guess the, the pivotal moment was I had been working for, so, you know, as a brewer for somebody else. And that brewery was, was not doing fabulously. And I thought part of it, maybe it seemed like there were some management issues. There were some, the people who were running it weren't really part of beer culture. It seemed like, again, not to, not to cast any aspersions, but, yeah. but I told the owner of the brewery, look, if you, if you ever decide that you don't want to be in this anymore, I don't want to buy your business, but I would buy your equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was probably another year before I got a phone call from him and said, okay, yeah, you're on. And I said, all right, well, give me, <laughs> give me a little bit of time to write a business plan because I'm going to have to borrow money. Yeah. And he did. He was good about it. And that's, that, that was the pivotal moment that yeah. got me. All right, well. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a great outlook on it too, though, just to not take that gamble as much. I think there's one thing where you said, you know, this is, this has to work because if not, I'm not going to financially recover from it. Right. <laughs> right. And that, that's the thing I don't think people realize it's, they have that aspiration. I'm going to open a brewery. I'm going to do this, but they don't realize how much the equipment costs and how much everything is and sure. how much of a business it has to be. So yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The equipment and just, you know, the, the startup costs of uh, paying your employees and paying your utility bills and doing all that before you've got a built, you know, a market built. Right. At first, there's very little money coming in. So you have to be able to survive that right. until you reach that that part of the slope where the money coming in can pay for this, <laughs> what needs to be paid for. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's also it's all and I don't know when this attitude sort of arose in me. Was it already there or did it build over time? But I take brewing pretty seriously Mm -hmm. it's fun and i love i mean i love it as fun but it's as a professional you know it's not a joke uh and occasionally you'll see a brewery uh and i won't name any names because i don't do that but uh you know owned by people who aren't themselves brewers who seem like they take the attitude well any monkey off the street can do this i I, i'll just hire anybody and and that's not, you know, that's not what I think with my employees, and that's not what I think with my industry. You know, I think there's a skill here, and I value the skills that people have. And so that's, you know, mm-hmm. again, part of the working in the industry that uh, I, I think building up those skills before you try to run something of your own yeah, feels like an act of respect as well. Sure. Yeah. And I think we can all, like, yeah. that share that same mentality. Because you have, like, I've been to the places where it's like, we opened a brewery because it's a brewery and we can make money not because we like beer and it it's just so evident from the minute you walk in the door or from the minute you take that first sip of beer you're like all right this isn't made with love you know (laughs) it's not made with passion it's not made because it's good beer it's just made to be beer because beer sells in trendy areas and and that's it's kind of sad because it tarnishes people who enjoy beer or maybe somebody who's getting into beer and they're like i don't really like like it right important to say i i don't feel like that's the majority oh, and i yeah. think the majority of breweries out there are are run by people with a passion for, sure. for mm-hmm. yeah so i i don't want to mischaracterize no, no, that right uh, yeah yeah uh and you know if it's just beer there are some giant multinational corporations <laughs> who can make just beer a lot more effectively than we can yeah what we can offer that maybe they can't is a kind of personal touch and passion mm-hmm. you know uh I live down the road from you, and I'm making this because I love it, and mm-hmm. I want to see your face when you try mm-hmm. it. And yeah, yeah, you know, 
the giant ones can't really do that as much. <laughs> no, not really at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of love that about Duck Rabbit and a lot of breweries that have that passion instilled into their businesses. You can see that, and you know, this kind of goes into your former life as a philosophy or uh, college professor. So obviously that incorporated into the Duck Rabbit branding. It's evident in the beer that you make. So is there any like ideology or practice from your career as a, a philosophy professor that have kind of translated into your now current job as the, the owner and brewer of a, a craft brewery? That's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I guess to answer off the cuff, and then I'll, maybe I'll try to think about it sure, a little more. Sure, you're fine. Uh, I'd say almost for sure the answer is yes, but can I pinpoint exactly what it is, <laughs> yeah. right? And, you right. know, uh, I, it would be hard to imagine that uh, the way I run my business isn't influenced by my former life. Right. And uh, I don't know exactly in what ways, you know, try to do things with integrity, try to try to treat people with respect and all that kind of business. But that's not unique to being a philosopher. That's, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind of everything is, I think everything is like a culmination of, your past experiences, whether or not it makes an impact or it's just kind of subtly there, but right. you know, no, no matter what those past experiences may have been. Right. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's There's some influence there. That's sure. how yeah. we got where we are. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. So I, I mean, I wish I had a better answer than that because I think, no. it's, a good, I think it's a good question, but I'll have to, I'll have to sleep on well, that. Well, it's, it's, I think it's kind of a lens itself to philosophy. There's just so much that goes into that discipline where it's a, it's a lot of just contemplation anyway. Right. So, sure. Sure. I mean, nothing that you can just, maybe come off the cuff with so yeah yeah we're grilling with the tough questions so. <laughs> yeah. it's fine i enjoy it uh so i guess uh speaking of you know philosophy a little bit here but your philosophy is dark beer right how do you how do you uh i guess transcend that to others who maybe are a little bit intimidated by dark beer i mean the beer we're drinking right now doesn't look too intimidating right, right. but some of the other ones on there you know big bold yep. black beer some people are like i can't handle that yeah so that was for sure an issue when we started, uh, you know, in 2004. I feel like it's less of an issue now. I think consumer culture with regard to beer has matured to a point where a lot fewer people are intimidated just by the color of a beer. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, that was that was a hurdle. Um, you know, we had people kind of really concerned about the glowing box in the corner of my room tells me, that I'm not supposed to like bitter beer and I'm not supposed to like beer that's not super, super light in mm-hmm. color. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that it actually worked to our advantage in the long run, that it gave us the opportunity to sort of educate people to some extent. Maybe educate's too strong, but but to, to show them and kind of hold their hand a little bit that, hey, there's nothing to be afraid of here. All this is is cold wet delicious <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. The, the fact that it's black and colored you may like it or not but there's nothing to be scared of and i and i, I think being in the position to be the one to hold your hand to sure. be the one to show mm-hmm. you that sort of engenders a certain kind of i don't know good feeling you know yeah yeah, yeah to be able to guide people on their beer journey a little yeah. bit there and people remember that mm-hmm. you know people yeah. Will remember yeah well i i didn't think i liked dark beer until Duck Rabbit showed me that yeah. I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah. a unique opportunity. Some people, not everybody. Not, not everybody has yeah, come everyone. on board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I think maybe in the very short run it was a liability. Uh, but in the longer run, I think, 
it was an advantage. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you, you would probably say it was kind of an untapped market in this area, at least at the time. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. you got to kind of be the frontiersman, of, if you will, to kind of start that uh, or be the one in that position that would actually get to guide people on that mm-hmm. journey. So. And that was very much part of my thinking um, when I decided to specialize in dark beer at the beginning. You know, I, obviously, 2004 was a very different time than, than 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even then, it seemed to me that, you know, there's more and more breweries in the world. And the ones that stood out in my mind were breweries that had a specialty. Mm-hmm. That, you know, were, were they're not just doing everything. They're, they're, they're known for, you know, Allagash does Belgian-style beers. Mm-hmm. Victory does, I mean, I guess they do a little more, but the, I always thought of them as doing great lagers. Mm-hmm. You know? Stone does these super, super bitter, aggressive beers. At that time, as as you may or may not remember, the laws in North Carolina didn't allow higher alcohol beer. Right. So we had, everything had to be under 6% by volume. Mm-hmm. So then the challenge was, okay, what kind of, what kind of specialization can I come up with that, that sets us apart but that allows us to explore a range of flavors and styles under 6% by volume. Mm-hmm. I mean, happily, that's no longer the case. We no <laughs> yeah. longer have to remain under 6%, but, but at the time. And then I also thought, given that, as we discussed a minute ago, beer culture is not super well advanced yet, especially in rural eastern North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to have to explain every time I go into a, or, or have my salespeople have to explain, you know, this is what a Eastern French farmhouse ale is. You know, <laughs> a beer de guerre. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, whereas if I say dark beer, no one's confused by that. Mm-hmm. Well, no one thinks they're confused by yeah. that. I, yeah. I think a lot of people are in fact confused. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, no one says, what's that? I've never heard of such a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone has the concept of dark beer. So you can occupy a niche that's maybe a little unique. You can be memorable not have to explain the basic concept and still be able to bring people along on a new journey that they didn't know about. That yeah. was, I mean, that was the thinking. Yeah. For yeah, good or worked. Ill. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. For good or ill, and now yeah. we're drinking a clear beer. Yeah, I know. Ironic, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we came on a day when a yeah, clear beer is released. So. Yeah. And that's a, so one of the interesting things, and I think a really cool part of the evolution of the Duck Rabbit, you know, it's you. 2004 dark beer specialist i mean you've endured through the ibu wars the you know haze craze like all of these uh you know fruited lactose sour with tangerine wheat you know <laughs> all this stuff we're not done with all we're not done with all <laughs> no, those. no we're yeah. not done with them yeah but you're, you've recently started you know branching out a little bit yep. you know you've had ludwig you've had uh hoppy bunny yep. new tricks now you got the the hellas you yep. know i'm curious to know where how far do you think you can go with trying a new beer or maybe a little bit more, I guess not a trendy beer, but outside of that dark beer style and, and think you and still maintain the integrity of dark beer specialists? Oh, that's a great, that, that, that's an excellent question. Uh, my, my thinking had been, and, and I guess it still is, but, but I think you're right to sort of suggest that that's something I need to continually reevaluate and, you know, kind of take the pulse. But, we introduced our first kind of first beer that wasn't a traditional kind of dark beer on the occasion of our 15th anniversary. And so I, my feeling is we've been doing it for 15 years. We've been specializing in dark beer. 
it would be weird for someone to question our bona fides at that mm-hmm. point. You know, like we've kind of established that we're committed to this. Although, having said that, even then, when we introduced that, that first one was an IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a little dipping your toe in very lightly. <laughs> 15th anniversary beer. Uh, and we'd get some people sending, you know, on Facebook or whatever, saying, you know, oh, what are you doing? Don't abandon stouts. I'm like, man, I'm not abandoning anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> just, just having a little specialty beer. So I feel like because we've been around so long specializing in what we have, that in my opinion, that gives us a little bit of license to explore some other things to some extent. Now, if, you know, if Ludwig became our top seller, then I guess I'd have to stop calling us the dark beer specialist. <laughs> you know? But I don't really anticipate that happening. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Ludwig, I got to ask you. So uh, the Duck Rabbit logo is uh, from the book by Ludwig Wittgenstein. Yeah, you right? got it. All right. That's it. And well did you intentionally <laughs> brew a Vienna lager yeah. to pay homage to him because Absolutely. he's born in Vienna? Yep. Okay. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. No, that was all. <laughs> that was all part of it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm like connecting the dots. Which came first? Equations in my head. Yeah. Which came first? The homage or the style? Or the beer. Or the, what do I name? Yeah. It? Yeah. Which came first? That I'm not exactly sure because I mean I love Vienna lagers, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's also. You know, as we're thinking about, okay, we feel like our portfolio could use a year-round beer that, mm-hmm. that kind of occupies this slightly different niche, you know. And as you may have noticed, we're doing all of these, all the stuff that doesn't fit into our uh, our kind of core dark beer concept is going into cans mm-hmm. as another way of maybe distinguishing, sure. you know, to some okay. extent. Though, I mean, we do dark beers in cans, too. But, yeah, uh, uh, yeah that's... I thought uh, a Vienna Lager is just—it's just a style that I really like. I think it's you know really delicious. And then, kind of thought, yeah, it makes sense to to tie that with our the, yeah. the, the person from whom we got the name and the mm-hmm. image and the branding and yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. very cool. It's a very subtle thing <laughs> yeah. I think that most people don't realize. There, there. <laughs> yeah, that's so. I'm I am very guilty of I love little inside jokes, little plays, yeah. and little that kind of thing, and I do it too much because <laughs> it you know other people don't get it, and why would they? they? There's no reason for them to get it, and here I am putting all this you know effort into some brand name that you know twelve philosophers and that kind of thing are gonna <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier with uh, that personal touch, you know, that mm-hmm. you put your own stamp and your own personality on your brand and on your beers. So I hope so. I, yeah. hope, I hope that's right. Yeah. Well, I think it's 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 a cool thing though, because when they when they have that aha moment, you know, when I was looking, I was like, that is so cool. I yeah. can't believe he did that, and it was just hidden in plain sight right in front of me the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, before ending up here, and we'll go in a little bit more about Farmville in particular, but you've been around you've been uh ithaca new york and arbor for school and then you ended up in cincinnati and then louisville and then ultimately here yep. in farmville so um like how did that end up like you're kind of puddle jumping or your uh nomadic uh situation <laughs> you know how, how did that come to be was it just based on career path or was it you know you have some kind of influence or yeah no that, there, there was no plan as far as where i went mm-hmm. um so i was uh i was in graduate school in ann arbor you know so that that mm-hmm. That had nothing. I was brewing there, but just as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's where I was when I finally decided. All right, look, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go full on. I'm gonna make this my career. I'm gonna try. Sent out resumes, uh, and it just happens that the 
the first job I got was in uh, Cincinnati. So, you know, that no plan there. And then similarly, um, the, uh, I guess the, the only part of a plan, it wasn't geographical, but I had an idea of what path I wanted my sort of career to take in terms of, uh, I wanted ultimately when I started my own thing to start a production brewery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as I've done. I love brew pubs. I mean, that's, yeah. that's fabulous, but it's not, it's a different kind of beast that I feel a little less comfortable mm-hmm. understanding how to run, um, whereas I feel like I know how to run a production plant. So when I left Cincinnati, I had gotten an offer for a job in Kansas uh, at, a, at a brew pub, but then at the same time got this offer in Louisville to work at a production brewery, and, I, and it, was, it was actually less money in Louisville, and it was, you know, there was less responsibility, but I thought this gives me an opportunity to kind of learn the ropes, running a bottling line, you know, running a different kind of plant. So I took that, and then from there, it was just, I was actually actively working there when somebody offered me a job in North Carolina. Wow. You know, at first I said that I wasn't looking for any kind of new job. <laughs> yeah. But then he kind of explained the autonomy he was going to offer me. And I said, well, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. Let me check it out. Yeah. And then I came to North Carolina. So <laughs> everything's kind of like a step-by-step kind of like yep. what is the next logical step to kind of yep. advance in that field. Yep. But yep. I, have to, I have to know, was it difficult being a Wolverine living in Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was. <laughs> I, I won't say it was difficult, but. But sure, there were conversations. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit of rivalry. Oh, not a little yeah, bit. There's a lot, there's of, a rivalry. lot of rivalry. <laughs> Cincinnati's not Columbus, but look, right. I have good friends who teach at, at uh, Ohio State. Gotcha. You know, it, yeah, it's a rivalry, but we can we can combine that to sports mainly. It's, yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so Farmville, you told us a little bit about, you know, you came here to work for the brewery, and then you got the call, wrote the business plan, and then you own a production brewery in Farmville. I'm curious, how has Farmville shaped the brewery and the growth? Yeah, that's, so at first, when we first started here, you know, we didn't, the the, the tasting room, as modest as it is, as you guys have been in there, it's very, very modest tasting room, but that didn't exist, right? The end of the building happened uh, at the glass walls that now look into the production facility. That was it. Yeah, (laughs) the the tasting room part was added on. Um, So for, for several years, and I, we really didn't have here in Farmville any kind of public facing presence. We're, we're manufacturing on the edge of town, mm-hmm. you know, and the adding the tasting room and sort of having these hours that that was all very much for me, part of trying to be part of the community. Mm-hmm. I felt like at, at, before we had that, we, we weren't legitimately part of the community. A lot of people didn't even know we were here, mm-hmm. you know, and why would they? Because we're just, you know, any old manufacturing. On the edge <laughs> of town. But I, I want, I, I felt like I wanted to, connect us to where we where we are where we're located so i guess being in farmville has shaped us in that way that it's kind of shaped a little bit of the direction the business has taken made more of a public facing of course you know we we care a lot about sales in farmville and mm-hmm. being but farmville's a tiny tiny town oh, it is, yeah. and so this is never going to be the main thing mm-hmm. right yeah 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 it's definitely uh production focused town i think it'd be tough to sustain it on that but i do definitely you talked about how it kind of gets the community as part of it um the first time we came here 
actually. We got taken back and shown the brew house and everything, and it really uh, connected us to that. So I was like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is amazing. We just came to get a beer and check yeah. it out. And then they're like, hey, we're making this. Like, come on, check it out. It's like, wow, really perfect brings you in. And then yeah. you're like, okay, I've got a connection with it now. Yeah. And, and did its job. I'd oh, say well, I'm, I'm did pleased it. to hear that. I'm, that's, uh, you know, we're, I think all of us who work here, we're really proud of, it's, it's modest in the sense of, like, it's not made to be pretty. It's not, you know, as you remember from going back into the <laughs> house, it's, you know, it's functional. Mm-hmm. But we're really proud of mm-hmm. what, we, what we've got back there and how we use it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's always fun to show it to people. Yeah. <laughs> to me. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it was a treat when we first got to, like, come here and actually see the production part of it because we've been here a couple of times for the tap room and um, you get to see kind of the, the inner workings and it's a large-scale operation. I mean, it's really cool to see that in person, so... Yeah, so North Carolina craft brewing has really boomed. I mean, probably, I mean, you've noticed that since you started oh, in 2004. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Just and, and in the past, you've mentioned how, you know, the community of craft brewers and like being able to have that connection as it's grown is then come with that a uh, sort of a disconnect between brewers just because of the vastness of the, the industry now. Yeah. But how, how does it feel like you've worked with some local brewers that have opened their own breweries, like Ben at Local Oak and Ryan and Casita? Like, yep. is that, um, you know, how has that experience been for you to like have that sense of community still, even though as a whole, it's just become more difficult to have that connection. Well, you know, I value that sense of community enormously. That that's part of what got me into this industry. You know, we talked about love of beer, but I guess that wasn't the only, that was the start, but that wasn't the only thing as I was sort of exploring this as a possible career option really felt the, the, the collegiality, the way the uh, you know brewers kind of treated each other not in the first instance as competitors um but as as colleagues and you know everybody's helping each other and i can tell stories about that too um but but that's (laughs) that's deviating a little bit um so so having brewers around that i have a connection with you know the ones you mentioned worked for me before they started their own breweries and and there are others similarly who worked for me before they started their own it helps me to have that sense of community in those specific cases in that it, it also i feel very proud sure i feel very proud should. that i had some role not you know not not to take credit for anybody's success i wouldn't that you know they have their own talents for sure that talents that i didn't give them but i had some role in you know getting them into the industry and and mm-hmm. and developing you know along the way i, I hope yeah um yeah. So, yeah. whether it's deserved or not, I feel proud. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I definitely think you should. It's kind of it parallels the discussion we had before, where your past experiences shape everything that you do sure. now. So, for them, I'm sure that there's a lot of little elements. Even if, like, uh, you know, your previous philosophy thing, you can't pinpoint one thing. I'm sure there's several influences they've had from that. So, yeah, I hope so. And yeah. you know, we, not not everybody who's ever worked for me who's gone on have I you know kept in touch with and kept. But some of them, yeah, we, we talk on the phone. We you know we mm-hmm. were still actively part of this community actively colleagues yeah yeah, yeah. as a good. as a sports fan myself i think of like the the coaching trees in the nfl you know like sure. the belichick tree i mean he's had a lot of disciples who have gone <laughs> to have their own successful careers but they have their own nuances to how they coach they just have have learned from somebody who did it well so i think that kind of relates well here it's just you're not making people that go off and do the, exactly the same thing you've done but you've kind of given them a foundation they've 
grown from that in their own unique way. And it's not one way. I learned from them too. Sure. I mean, for sure. Nice. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll call them up and say, you know, hey, I know this is something that you've done. You yeah. Know, and I've never done that. And, you know, talk to me about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tell yeah. me about it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, like I said, that's, that's really a big part of what I value about this industry. I, I love beer, but, I also just, I like being part of something that feels like we're all in it together. We're helping each other. Yeah, sure. We're competing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but that competing doesn't feel like the main thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. uh, Ben from Local Oak mentioned it as a co-opetition because it's that level. Oh, that's of, interesting. I yeah, heard that yeah, word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, that's a good way to sum it up because it's, you're kind of pushing each other, but in a, in a way that benefits everybody. It's mm-hmm. not directly. You know, there's no like tension or any kind of like hostility. It's actually just a community, as you mentioned. Yep. It's, it's all for the same aim. Yep. Um, but you kind of all lift each other up in a way. That's that's the hope for yeah. sure. Yep. Yeah. So I guess switching gears a little bit. Sure. This is a kind of a callback. One of those interviews that I had watched uh, back from 2009. The guy had asked you if you know you thought there was any com- com- uh, competition from macro brewers. Now, thinking about that now however long later, you know, 13 years later, the context has shifted a little bit for macro brews. You know, they're buying up craft breweries. They're making all sorts of new malt beverage products like seltzers and spiked this and that. Yep. Do you think that that offers any competition or do you still think that you're still in your unique place? I mean, with yep. the dark beer specialist, you're still niched in there, but I'm no. curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is competition. I think, uh, I think, for I think you hit you hit some of the points on the head there. Uh, for one thing, like like just talking about like seltzers, for example, which obviously are huge, right? Right. In my opinion, that's a very different thing than than craft beer. It's a very different thing than beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not the way it's treated on the shelf. On the shelf, it's treated as part of this universe of craft beer, and. They're taking up shelf space that used to go to craft beer. So, and, and, you know, most, a lot of that is coming from the, the macro mm-hmm. brewers. So that's competition. You also have, as you said, buying up some of the macro brewers or buying up smaller breweries. You know, I don't know if you just heard that, uh, uh, Sapporo. Sapporo's yeah. Yeah. Stone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in some, in some of those cases, and I don't know about Sapporo specifically, but in, in, in some of those cases, I think it's pretty benign. But there are other cases where I worry that the strategy that that it's not benign that the the brewer the, the macro brewer is buying smaller breweries in order to this is going to sound like a paranoid conspiracy or something <laughs> but in order to erode the price advantage that small brewers are able to mm, to sure. command you know if you can make what was tra- what was a sort of straight ahead craft brewery and, and a, you know a well-known brand if you can make that priced closer to a macro premium brand mm-hmm. you erode that that sort of sense of difference uh, in the consumer's mind and then that's harder for other brewers like like me yeah. <laughs> to command the kind of price that you know we would otherwise have been able to command obviously you know Maybe it's not obvious. It's obvious to me. Uh, a small brewer has to, if you're not owned by a larger corporation, you have to get a higher price. We operate inefficiently. 
right? Yeah. Compared yeah. to the giant breweries, that that the cost of production per barrel is enormously higher. Just the number of uh, man hours per barrel way higher in this kind of operation. Mm-hmm. I hope that's part of what makes it charming, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. But but it means that we've got to charge for it. You know, you right. have to. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's it. That's a an excellent point, you know, and and it's curious to see how that'll affect it you know because you go to a bottle shop and you get a four pack you know of 16 ounce cans for you know 12 13 bucks yep. 14 bucks sometimes 20 in certain yep. scenarios and i'm curious to see if that's gonna shift at all with some of these but i think we're still in the early stages of them buying them up and yeah. sure but i think that is that is a concern you know mm-hmm. that's not again that's not to say that whatever any craft brewer wants to charge is is reasonable or appropriate or mm. no sure there are overpriced out there as well I'm 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 not arguing that um, I'm just saying that that we need we need a differentiation between uh, what we do and what the macro brewers do on a price basis yeah that differentiation on price basis influences people's perception of of sort of quality. In ways that they're not even necessarily aware of. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you should just charge more for the sake of charging more, <laughs> but charging less. If you you know you cut your price, people are going to start to think, well, must be that that's all it's worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and sure that, it's a tough, that's totally true. It's a you, tough balance to make there. Like, from your perspective, like where do we set the price so that it's it's fair and it's affordable, but also it's indicative yep. of the worth that goes into it. Yep, yep. I mean, especially right now with with. It, the inflationary pressures yep. that are happening and, you know, all the various pressures from COVID, pressures from a tough labor market, pressures from transportation market, pressures from a war in Europe, you know, all this stuff, the the prices for everything of all our inputs are going up crazy fast. Mm-hmm. And who knows what they're going to be next week. But right. we can't we can't change our price every week, you know. Yep. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, clearly from that conversation and then with your your mission to be the dark beer specialist, you're very intentional with everything you do from a business perspective. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, uh, like what goes into the thought process when you're making decisions for like expansion, particularly with like production or trying to expand into a new market or a new state? Uh, what kind of goes into that decision before you pull the trigger and yep. make a... Yeah, so so for example, the, the going into a new market, um, as as you may know, as your listeners may know, I mean I don't know, but in most states, um, the the relationship between a distributor and the the supplier, the brewer, is governed by what are called franchise laws. Um, why that's important is it's almost always written to be quite restrictive on the brewer standpoint mm-hmm. they were written at a time when there there really weren't small brewers and so they were written the, the laws were written to protect the distributors from the overwhelming power of the brewers mm-hmm. nowadays that's <laughs> kind of laughable you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but the the reason that's relevant here i think is that those restrictive laws end up in most cases meaning that signing with a distributor you have to view that as a life decision. Um, okay. for, for all practical purposes, you're probably never getting out of this. Um, so you better make the right choice, yeah. right? Oh, wow. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 
as heavy as a marriage in, in business terms, <laughs> you know. Wow. Um, probably heavier because in a lot of cases, divorce just isn't really an option. That, that doesn't mean it can never happen, but it's it's not entirely under your control whether it can happen. I can't just say I'm leaving, and it might be very costly to have that happen. So one of the first things before we go into a new market is to sort of do a, a really thorough investigation of what distributors are available, what do the retailers in that market think of that of those distributors? You know, how do they how do they interact? How does it look like our portfolio would fit in that market and would fit in with the portfolio of the distributor that we're considering? Um, it's it's got to be a match on every level. I think it's a bad idea to sort of go with an option that doesn't seem great. There are states that we have investigated actively that we we feel like we want to be in that we haven't gone in because we just couldn't find a distributor that we thought we liked well enough or, or that, that would be a good enough match. So that that's part of it. Of course, part of it is if there's an organic demand uh, in that market, if we've, you know, lots of people have contacted us saying, geez, I wish you'd sell in right. <laughs> whatever, you know. Um, okay, well, that, that, that carries some weight. You know, that counts for something. You've heard of us. Mm-hmm. You've... Um, we'll often go into a market ahead of time and maybe do some festivals, do some events, um, just to, again, to sort of gauge what's the level of interest. So a, a lot of it is that in terms of production capacity in the brewery, that's all just governed by number. That's all, uh, you know, how much can we make now? What is the demand right now? What do I project the demand to be three months from now, six months from now, you know, 12 months from now? Um, what do we need to do to make sure that it, it happened to us one time before our, I guess it was before our first significant expansion where we bought a bunch of new tanks that we start, we were hitting our head on, uh, on, uh, mm-hmm. our, our, the ceiling of our yes, capacity. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, we just didn't have enough tank space yeah. to make beer fast enough. And that hurt us a lot. I mean, it's not just the, that there are some lost sales. It erodes distributor confidence. Right, if you're over and over, they're ordering twelve pallets and you're sending them three. You know, yeah, after yeah. a while, they're like, okay, well, we can't rely on you. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to actively be looking for new placements for you because can't support it. Right, yeah. we're, we're not confident that you'll be able to support it. So that I feel like that stung in a way that I'm going to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so we've always tried to stay ahead of it. We've always okay. tried to increase our capacity before we get that. You know, get into that kind of situation. Yeah, so yeah. it's almost like an equal relationship between like building i guess a relationship with the distributor and the analytics of what you know where are our numbers what are we selling yep. so it's not just based on pure stats alone it's kind of like who works best who do we, who do we fit with who do we jive with as far as like a distribution standpoint so. sure sure yeah i mean there, there are different aspects of growth right mm-hmm. there's growing your market um and, and so growing that's sort of growing the, the demand side mm-hmm. and then there's growing the, the your your production facility yeah. that's growing the supply side mm-hmm. and you kind of want those yeah. you, you you want the supply to be the supply side to be just a little bit higher than the demand side <laughs> yeah. all the time if yeah. it's too much higher then you've invested in a bunch of equipment that's not doing you any good right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's if it's not high enough higher then you don't have enough headroom to meet surges yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so it's definitely a big business. I think a lot of people 
don't get that they have the idealized dream. I'm going to open a brewery. It's going to be yeah. great. I'm going to be surrounded by beer all the time. But you have to have <laughs> that business acumen for it. Um, you know, besides the passion that you've described and things, what other personality traits do you think are paramount for somebody that's going to start a brewery? Mm. Yeah. So something that I feel like I've noticed, I want to say learned, but but maybe this isn't universally true. Maybe this is, you know, more idiosyncratic. I don't know. It seems to me like the some of the characteristics that are important for starting a, a successful business aren't necessarily the same characteristics that are important for growing mm-hmm. a successful business, right? So uh, for starting a business, one of the things that was important in my case was understanding what things you can do and what things you can't do. You know, what what can I learn? What can I figure out? What can I do myself? What do I need to farm out to somebody else? And then also, in those very early stages, to really minimize how big that second category is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I feel like I've seen this among lots, not, not just in brewing, but lots of entrepreneurs that, you know, at least at first, man, you're, you're trying to do everything. You're trying to learn to do. You better learn how to do HR. You better learn how to do, uh, you know, maintenance management. You better learn how to all these various things. After you reach a certain level of growth, if you're trying to do all that by yourself, you're going to fail. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just can't. So you have to be at some point where, all right, now I need somebody else to take this Mm -hmm. part of it over for me. Um, And making that that shift can be very difficult, Mm -hmm. right? Making that shift from whatever it is, I'll stay up all night and I'll figure it out and I'll make it happen, to that's just not reasonable. I, I, I need to hire somebody else to do yeah. it that that's a difficult transition to make yeah um, i think delegation is often one of the hardest things for people that shift yep. into some any sort of management role you know it's usually yeah. they're like i can do this i can do it myself i can do it well but just figuring out when can i pass the buck to somebody else and say okay yeah. i have, need to be confident that you can do it right up to exactly. my standards that, so. when can i and when do i need to yeah you know I, like yeah. I, right if things are going well you just don't have time to do everything you can't you yeah. can't it's not yeah. possible yeah. yeah well so We'll kind of wrap things up here on a more, like, just a fun note. Um, we have to ask you, just what's the most rewarding part of your journey as a craft brewer, and what's been the most rewarding in that aspect of yeah. making this business and this brand? You know, the answer to that might change day to day, really, because th- there's a lot that's rewarding about it. I, like, on some days, I want to say it's seeing somebody enjoy the beer I make, but really, I think more often, because I... I work like a hermit in a cave a little bit, you know. We kind of we kind of <laughs> work back there, and it's not it's not every day that I see somebody enjoying. You know, that's not really the the daily part of the business um, for me. So really, it's I think seeing the people I work with thrive, learn, succeed. You know, uh, this this beer that we're enjoying now that I think is. I just love it yeah, to death. I, I didn't brew it. I, I'm not the one. Uh, oh, this nice. was our brewer Will made it. Mm-hmm. Man. I mean, he's been a great brewer forever. He was a great brewer before he came to me, so I'm not saying this had anything to do with Duck Rabbit, but seeing him be able to do this here at Duck Rabbit on our system, it makes me super proud, yeah. you know? He did a good job. He did. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> that's Shout out, Will. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I got an empty glass and a half empty yeah, glass exactly. in front of me. Yeah, but that, that's, that's very gratifying mm-hmm. yeah. um, to me. Well, I do have one final question. On the website, it says that you're the most likely to fall asleep in your lasagna. <laughs> I need to know the story behind that. Uh, <laughs> or is it just a made-up? Uh... <laughs> well, 
I mean, it's you know, it's tongue in cheek. It's a joke a little bit, but I am I am perpetually sleep deprived. Okay. I'm sure, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so like you know, have I ever fallen asleep in my lasagna? Maybe not. <laughs> have I fallen asleep with a lasagna in the oven and woken up five hours later to a like black brick? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I've totally done that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so more of an indication on your work ethic is what we're doing. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know, or, or my my lack of time management skills. <laughs> <laughs> that might be part of it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us. I've really enjoyed this conversation yeah. that we absolutely. Had, I'm Me sure too. everybody listening uh, will too. But it. It's uh, been great talking to you. I invite you to edit at will. Edit at will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I rambled a little bit there. No, no not at all. No, that's, it's, it's great. It's been uh, good insight that we've gotten. So, so thank you. Good, yeah. good. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Cool. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed listening to the interview, and we want to thank Paul for taking the time to talk with us. Make sure you check us out at our website at eastcarolinabeer.com. Our socials at Instagram, East Carolina Beer, on Twitter, at East Beer, Facebook, East Carolina Beer and Brewing. And if you want to reach out and send us an email, you can hit us up at eastcarolinabeer at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening and hope you have a great one. Cheers. Cheers.